is the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Brought to you by eeleaders.com. Hey everyone, I hope all is well with you. I am still stuffy, but I'm feeling better, and I'm glad that we have another guest lesson today. My man, Peyton Jones. I met Peyton Jones about eight years ago and um, have been learning from him ever since. He's just a great guy, humble, knows Jesus, and wants others to know him. And he has a great podcast, Church Planner Podcast, has written a few books, and truly is just a faithful guy that has invested in many types of leaders, church planners, uh, church leaders, lead pastors, assistants, lay people. He's just a guy that's always pointing people to Jesus. And so um, I'm very blessed to have him pour into our community. And today we're going to talk about having a team approach. He's going to talk to you about strike teams, Um, having a strike team, a, a team to accomplish some great things together. And I want us to make sure that we're having this approach in ministry, that we're doing things together because great things are done by great teams. And so I asked him to share uh, with us about this subject and Peyton has just, it just actually ended up recording some fresh content on this subject. So uh, super blessed that he sent this over and able to share it with you and um, be able to encourage you on just continuing to not only serve Jesus by yourself, but serve Jesus with other people, have a strike team to accomplish great things. And so I know you're going to enjoy it. Okay, we're going to talk about strike teams again, but this time we're going to break the strike team down. So last time we talked about what the movement looked like across the map and how Paul was reproducing fast. And right now we're going to talk about what a strike team looks like, what it's made up of. So remember that Paul, as he's moving across the map, he's actually picking up church planters, training them on the road, and then dropping them off. But don't forget, not only is he dropping them off, he, in each of those towns that he's passing through, training the guy he picked up in the first town, he's picking someone up in the second town, carrying them for a few, depositing them in maybe the fourth or fifth town over. And so there's this constant leapfrogging of people being picked up and people being dropped off or even sent out. So we don't know exactly how Paul did it, but we can read those little areas in the back of the epistles where we can trace people's movements. We know roughly that Timothy was in this town from this time to that time. Titus was in this town. And so we can kind of come up with a a little bit of a schedule. But remember, this is a moving target. Paul was kind of improving his serve. He was learning as he went. But one of the things that practically came out of Paul working in teams or strike teams when he planted was that Paul began to identify different types of of leaders. So years ago, I wrote a book and it was based on Ephesians 4 and it was called Church Zero. Now, Church Zero, uh, it has a very provocative subtitle, Raising First Century Churches Out of the Ashes of the 21st Century Church. And the reason I said ashes, and I got a lot of pushback on that, was again because of that statistic that 80% of the churches in America are either plateaued or declining. Now, that's an even worse figure in parts of Western Europe. So America is doing a lot better compared to a lot of other places. So let's talk for a second about how Paul went so fast, how he was able to move quickly. And we already established 
establish the fact that Paul didn't go alone and that he moved very quickly in teams. So in Ephesians 4, Paul breaks it down that when Jesus ascended, he deposited gifts. He left behind giftings to get the job done, to finish his ministry. Because although Jesus died on the cross, and we know that uh, his death was... His work was finished, as he said, it is finished from the cross for our justification. Our work or Christ's work of kingdom expansion was not finished and he left that to us. He actually passed on the ministry of spreading the word of what he did on the cross. So his ministry was finished. His ministry is finished in one sense, but his ministry continues through us. So the, the death of the, of the, of the, of the cross that work is finished. The atonement is done. But now the spreading of that message is not. So what we want to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is what are these different roles. So in verse 11 it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's the idea. Basically, Paul is saying that when Jesus left, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now that's quoting from an Old Testament Psalm where David's on the field of battle and he says that God swoops down wins the battle for them and then ascends back up into heaven but as he ascends back up to heaven now this is all poetic language in a psalm it's a battle psalm so David is giving God credit for a victory and as he sees God himself figuratively as it were going back up into heaven he plunders the enemy now what a king would do when he would plunder the enemy is he would march on parade through the city when he returned home and he would shower his people with plunders of the spoil and so when Jesus achieves his substitutionary atonement work, it means that God can now indwell us. And what's happening is that the spirit comes in and now there's these giftings, these energizing, these empowerings. And so as these gifts uh, come, are showered down upon us, what he's saying by Jesus leaving is this ministry is not completely finished. We now fulfill with these gifts the ministry of Jesus. That's why he says he gave these gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministry is not done. And so if I'm if I'm an apostolic leader or I'm an evangelistic leader or I'm a prophetic leader or I'm a teaching leader or a shepherding leader, these five gifts are now like tools to get the job done. And what I like to point out is that Jesus himself 
himself was the only one who perfectly fit all five of these roles. But you and I couldn't handle all these roles at one time. So Jesus, to start off with, according to Hebrews 4, is our apostle and forerunner. Number two, he's the prophet that Moses spoke about. He was the evangelist who went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Number four, he is teacher Rabboni. And number five, he is the good shepherd. So he's all of those rolled into one. And I like to think of of it as like Master Chief when you used to play the game Halo. There was a character named Master Chief who was a cybernetically enhanced uh, human being, a cyborg. And he could put his hands on any piece of technology and immediately know how to use it because he was Master Chief and that's how he was uh, programmed. Well, Jesus was like that. He could master all five of these roles, but as humans, I can't. Some of us are wired as shepherds. Some of us are wired as evangelists. Some of us are wired as apostolic leaders. And we tend to function within that gifting. And Paul, as a field planter, had noticed this among people he was working with. Like, for example, uh, Priscilla and Aquila tend to be teachers. Apollos is a total evangelist. Titus is an apostle. So when Apollos comes through, um, he, he preaches the gospel in Corinth and Ephesus, and there's a second wave of conversions that happens. So Paul strategically knew when and where to use Apollos in his network. Um, same with... Uh, uh, Titus. Titus, he leaves behind on the Alacrete, like we said in last session, so that you could set in order what is lacking in all the cities. So in other words, Titus is church planting in all of these cities, and he's very apostolic because he's like a commando. Um, Timothy, uh, Timothy is sent to kind of babysit churches, and he has to be told, do the work of an evangelist, because that wasn't first nature for him. Timothy's probably more like a shepherd if you read between the lines. He's shepherding those people. Um, he does later get called uh, uh, an apostle, but his 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 main gifting or speciality was that he was more of a shepherding, uh, maybe even a teaching kind of leader. But what you find in the first century church is that people had their slant. And Paul undoubtedly says, I'm an apostle. And yet he's grouped earlier on in Acts 11 as one of the prophets in Antioch. And so as we continue to look at the New Testament to kind of figure out how we work, as we look at strike teams, not all leaders are going to be alike. So I want you to think of it this way. In the old in the olden days, we used to watch cartoons like Bugs Bunny. And as Bugs Bunny would kind of like get excited and run, sometimes he'd run through a wall and he would leave a Bugs Bunny shaped hole. Sometimes you see he goes through a wall, boom, there's a, a body hole in the shape and in the outline of his body. Now, what would happen in this passage is Paul begins to talk about how one day the church will fill all things. In fact, he says, he says, uh, uh, let's see, he says, to equip the saints to the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that picture there, when he says stature, that's a measurement. That's like a there's a Jesus-shaped hole left in the world by Jesus' ascension. And so what happens is, he's saying the body needs to grow and grow and grow and fill out. 
that Jesus-shaped hole that was left. And it will only happen as these gifts are working. As the body's being equipped through apostolic leaders, um, prophetic leaders, evangelistic leaders, shepherd leaders, teacher leaders. So we need all of these leaders pulling on us. And here's the thing. Just to kind of break it down, I call this um, uh, almost like the taffy pole that each believer needs on him. Each church needs this on it. So, for example, there's these five different types of leaders. Now, I would say these are the, the, the roles of elders. That's why you have multiple elders in a church. You can't just have one type of leader. If you have one type of leader, like, for example, um, if I'm a teacher and all I ever do is teach my people, then the church becomes like a classroom. And we've certainly seen churches where that's what it is. In fact, they call them campuses for a reason, because people go there and that's where someone kicks down information to them and people go away very satisfied with that. But then we have pastors where someone might say at a church, like, for example, we've got a new pastor. Oh, how is he? Oh, he's great. You know, he's not that great of a teacher, though. But he's really good with people. You know why? Because that guy's a shepherd. That's how he's wired. He's not a teacher. He's a shepherd. But we have this model in America that's the pastor-only model where we put the guy who's in the pulpit at the top like a CEO of a company. And the church, let me tell you, it did not function that way in the New Testament. And it was never meant to function that way today. In fact, what I like to say is maybe the reason we're going so slow as a church is because we've cut off three of these limbs. For example, I've just mentioned pastor and teacher and you're very kind of familiar with those but maybe you don't know that there's also roles of apostolic leader evangelist and prophetic leader because what a lot of people do is they they say well those those aren't for today anymore we have the scripture now well the interesting thing about that is that um, they had the scripture uh, really so to speak long before that language stopped being used in the church. In fact, you, you have the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles were for the first century only because there were 12 tribes of Israel. So they were the apostles to the Jews. So Jesus appoints 12 of them. But then Paul is the apostle, he says, born out of due time. And he says, I am the apostle just like the 12. I've seen the risen Lord. But all those guys are unique to the first century. So when people start using the term apostle, people get nervous. But here's the deal. Paul uses that same word apostle for people who don't fit his criterion in 1 Corinthians. So in other words, there's... The foundational apostles, and those would be the 12, and then Paul, who's the 13th warrior, born out of due time. But then there's also the type of apostle that we would talk about who he uses for nine other people. For example, he says it about Savannah, He says it about Timothy. He says it about Titus. He says it about Barnabas. These guys are mentioned as apostolos, which literally means sent one or what we would say missionary. Have you ever noticed that the word missionary is not in your New Testament? Um, it, it is, but it's the word apostolos, sent out one. And so Paul uses that. So when I look at a church planner, I see a sent out one. For example, for me, 
I am an apostolic leader. So that means if I plant churches, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to raise up leadership, and then I'm going to blow the heck out of Dodge because I am more concerned about spreading outward than I am building upward, right? And we've lost that leader. Right now we've got guys where, because it tends to be shepherds and teachers running churches, they're very insular. And what they're concerned about is growing the church upward. When you get an apostle, he goes, hey, you're good now. I've planted you. I'm going to move on now. And he hands off to shepherds and teachers. Those are the guys that are the army. But he's a bullet stopper. He's an apostolic leader. And so let me just kind of give a quick summary. And this is from Church Zero. Um, when I was a little kid, um, I saw a movie uh, called, I don't remember what it was called actually, but it was on Kung Fu Theater. That was a big deal in the 70s and 80s. And I remember there was a scene where all of these uh, haystacks were in the middle of a field and our hero's walking through and he's just kind of nonchalant and not really paying attention, just enjoying a stroll. And suddenly, hi out of these haystacks, jump these kung fu warriors with all this hay tied onto their body. They were camouflaged. And they start fighting him. And after he, you know, delivers a few roundhouses, the, the numbers become overwhelming. And suddenly, our, our warrior puts his finger up in the air like this. And he starts going, and then pretty soon, he's going at lightning speed. And it's the magic kung fu finger. You know, he's just he's just using Kung Fu finger, you know, and guys are flying over hay bales and hay's going everywhere. And he kicks about 20 guys butt with the Kung Fu finger. Well, Kung Fu finger is a myth. Doesn't really exist. You know it and I know it. And yet, why is it that we're still trying to make the Kung Fu finger real in the church? So we hire a pastor and we basically look in the New Testament. We see five giftings, five roles. We roll them into one and we go, here's your job description. And we weigh this guy down to be an evangelist, to be a reproducer, to be prophetic. He's got to speak to the, to the needs. He's got to be deeply spiritual, um, to be a, an excellent teacher and really good with people and able to work out and counsel through all their problems. Well, the problem is each one of those is enough work for one guy, right? Or gal, depending on your view there. But what I like to do is call it fist leadership. This is how I remember the roles. And this is how they make sense to me. I'm going to save the apostle for last because the Kung Fu finger is a myth because nobody ever kicked anybody's butt with just their finger. Unless you're Bruce Lee. You need a fist. See, if you take those five fingers and you put them all together in a fist, bam, it packs a punch. Then your fingers become a, a weapon, but they've got to work together. So we've been trying to do church like a Kung Fu finger, right? And it's not working. That's why we're not making the impact. Because if you just got a teacher or a shepherd running your church, um, then your church is going to be very insular. In fact, here's the strange thing. Those roles, the shepherd and teacher, are the conservative insular or inward-focused leaders. So out of the five, two of them are inward-focused and conservative. However, the other three are the radical outward-focused leaders. Now, don't you think it's interesting that what we did is we said these don't exist anymore? These three radical outward-focused leaders don't exist? Only these two exist? The conservative inward-focused leaders? And now we wonder why we're having so much trouble? Why we're not taking kingdom ground? 
what if these five roles exist? And I just want to talk about each one of them very briefly. So let's look at the first finger. The first finger is the prophetic leader, right? The prophetic leader is the one who is deeply spiritual. Um, everything is about prayer. Everything is about hearing from the Lord. In fact, if you have one of these in your leadership team, in your strike team, they're going to hate the red tape. They're going to hate meeting through meetings. They're going to hate, you know, agendas and all those things. Anything that seems organized, they're going to be very organic, very hippie-like. And they're going to always cut through your meeting and say, well, that's cool that we've talked about that. I like your spreadsheet. But what is the Holy Spirit saying? That's your prophetic leader. They're going to usually have a message for now. It doesn't mean they stand up and prophesy, but often prophetic leaders tend to run in the realm of the supernatural. In other words, what they do often is they are very much about stirring up the gifts, the spiritual gifts of others. Those could be more charismatic gifts. Those could be more of the non-charismatic gifts like serving and administrations and those other things. But then we've got the evangelist. Now, I hesitate to hold up my middle finger because you know what that means. That is very offensive. Well, the evangelist is the middle finger of this team. He is the one that brings the offense of the gospel to the community around you. So he is always preaching the offense of the cross. People want to kill him. People want to stone him. People want to tie him up. People want to shut him up. And when he comes roaming down the hallway and says, hey, you want to go out and talk? No, you know, you go hiding. You find any excuse to run from the evangelist because you think, man, I don't really want to do this. Well, then you've got your shepherd who's your touchy feely. You know, I, that's what my, my wedding finger is on because my wedding finger tells me that I'm in a relationship with somebody. It's not just about me. It's about others too. It's about family. And so he's the touchy feely guy. He's a guy that gets into your problems. He applies the word of God to your actual family life and deals with relationships and is very concerned about the relationships in the church. So the shepherd does that. Number Four, we've got the pinky finger. Now, the pinky finger is for exactness. So uh, pinky often balances things, but also if I'm having a cup of tea, you know, my pinky finger needs to be extended out a little bit. It's, it's a very delicate thing and there's an etiquette there. Well, theologically, the teacher is always concerned about exactness and correct doctrine. And that's what the role of the teacher is all about. Now, lastly, if you take those four and then the apostolic, comes in like your thumb, holds them all together. Because the purpose of this is to be on mission. Our one mandate was to go out and make disciples of all nations. So normally, the apostolic leader is your team leader in the beginning. Now, normally I will tell people I have a sell-by date. By the time I'm done doing my bit, my leadership gifts will start to stink. I have a, a, a shelf life. You're going to see my, my gifts wane in the beginning when the church is young and just being planted. You're going to think I'm amazing, no doubt. But then over time, my gifts will not be as needed. They will still be needed, just like Paul as the apostle writes to the churches. I still need to come. I still need to stir people up. I still need to speak into the church. I speak primarily like the epistles to the witness of the church, to the world. But that's my role, and I don't stay for long. But that strike team packs a powerful punch. And that's why we use the word strike team, because it's a team impacting the community around it. It's what I call the A-team. Here, front line. And the apostle, interestingly, the apostle is really less about evangelism than you think. The apostle is more about identifying people's gifts. Because think of it this way. If the evangelist is about getting the lost to come in, 
the apostle is about getting the believers to go out. So first he makes believers, he raises them, he raises them up, he identifies their gifts because he knows he's going to leave. So in our church today, it's like, hey, leave it to the professionals. But in the first century, it was the professionals leave. So Paul knew he only had a limited amount of time. So he would identify their gifts, he would strategically get them raised up, and then he would deploy them outward. And not just outward from the church, but into the community. So for example, for me, when I plant, I want to make sure that mission is happening after I'm gone and so that's what I've got my eye on but it's also what I'm wired for the last thing is each one of these are speaking gifts so when you hear a uh, pastor you know a, a leader let's say we've got a team of elders and you hear me every time I preach to you it's gonna be mobilizing you for mission every single time when you hear the prophetic guy teach it's going to be a burden, right? The, the prophetic leader is going to have a burden for the community. And it, it's going to feel very prophetic. It's not going to be a masterfully ex expositional sermon. And same with the evangelist. The evangelist is going to preach a gospel. Shepherd is going to preach about relationships, maybe with your family, with your marriage. He's going to, uh, it's going to be touchy-feely. It's going to be warm. It's going to talk about fellowships and talk about all those things. And lastly, the teacher is going to preach doctrine at you right? Um, Lloyd-Jones was a teacher extraordinaire, and it was all doctrine, right? I mean, it's amazing. You read his sermons, it, they're doctrine, and his people were really, really versed in doctrine, but like I said, one of the weaknesses, and this is from having been at Martin Lloyd-Jones's church for three years, is that there was a lot of knowledge that people did nothing with. There was a lot of head knowledge. There was a lot of doctrine that people had in them, but very little action. That's why you needed an apostolic person to come and say, Let's take you out and go do that. So think of it as the taffy pull, right? If I'm in a congregation, I got all five of these leaders pulling on me at one time, then that means that there's parts of me that aren't going to be undeveloped. Because if you're in a, a, a church that's just a campus and you have a wonderful expository preacher, then your head is growing really big, but your feet are growing really small. That's why Paul talks about being uh, pulled to the measure of the stature of Christ, growing up as each part pulls on you as a believer, the body grows. It starts to look like Jesus. So if I just have a teacher in the pulpit, then that means that my church looks like one part of the, the teacher part of Jesus. It's like the world seeing Jesus' arm, but Jesus had legs. Jesus had a head. Jesus had a torso. Jesus had two hands. So what I need then is I need the other parts of the body pulling like a taffy pull until the body begins to fill that Jesus-shaped hole. Because the church, as he goes on to say in this passage, that the church might fill all things as each part does its share. What's amazing about that? is that it talks about building the body up. I have this crazy theory that each generation, if multiplication is going to happen as fast as we think it should, then each generation should be raised up. Each generation should be getting these leaders raised up at all times. Eventually, I believe every believer would begin to take shape like one of these. And I just personally think that each leader in the church is just somebody who's been really, really, really discipled well. That's what I think a leader is. I used to think a leader was a certain type of person that came out of a test tube. And I've since realized that as people get discipled like this, leadership naturally emerges. That's another story for another day. But the reality is, guys, when you look at leadership in the church, we shouldn't be having 
uh, churches that because an evangelist is in the pulpit every Sunday, the church becomes a giant uh, stadium crusade. We shouldn't be having churches where, uh, you know, the, the church is like a three ring circus because it's always a prophetic leader in the pulpit week after week. And the church becomes unbalanced because it needed that teacher to come in and say, whoa, 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 what you're saying is not biblical. Imagine if you could get the body of Christ, the best parts of the charismatic movement, the best part of the reform movement, because that's where the teachers tend to go, and the prophetic leaders tend to go towards the charismatic movement. The apostles, they left for the mission field. The shepherds, they tend to go to focus on the family and become counselors, and you know they, they, they go open up practices as licensed marriage and family therapists, or they become the family pastor. Evangelists, well, you know, they, they can fit in some, they often grow movements really big, but they wear everyone out in the process. If you had all of these guys working Working together. Imagine the powerful combination that would be. And that's what Paul imagined. In fact, it's more than what Paul imagined. It's what he saw and it's what he did. If the church will go back to this, we will begin to pack a punch. We will have people who not only know good theology, but they know how to do practically what they've been reading about or teaching about. They won't just talk about miracles or God give the surgeon wisdom. They'll actually lay hands on people and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And they'll actually begin to see the things that they've read about and vice versa. Man, it is so much fun for me to have so many great people contribute to this community from all over the place, whether it be Peyton, who's sort of nationally all over, but his hub is California. Um, to Washington State. I'm a, I'm a West Coast kid. I grew up outside of Seattle, uh, Tacoma, Washington, and uh, this next pastor, he actually pastors right outside where I grew up in Kent, Washington at Calvary Chapel South. His name is Kevin Day, and uh, living there in my old stomping grounds has some great wisdom about teamwork that he's going to share with you on his one piece of advice. You're listening to One Piece of Advice. Brought to you by eeleaders.com, a ministry to encourage and equip church leaders. Hi, I'm Kevin Day. I pastor Calvary Chapel South in Kent, Washington. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. Uh, 27 years ago, I began a Bible study, and that has now developed into a church of about 800 people or so on Saturday nights and Sundays. It's been awesome to see what the Lord's done in spite of us, in spite of me. We so appreciate the grace of God. The thing that I would want to leave as one piece of advice or one important leadership principle for us and for myself over these last three or, three or four years is the area of trust. To build trust in our relationship with one another, particularly when it comes to leadership and, and our staff culture. We must have this important thing called trust in our relationships with one another. We have an acronym that we've used for about five years. It's T-E-A-M. And we say great teams trust each other, great teams energize each other, great teams appreciate each other, and great teams maximize each other. And five or so years ago when we started, we would say that, that uh, those four things every staff meeting. And then about three plus years ago, as we were restructuring and reorganizing, we came into this time, which has been over the last three years, of what I would call God's gracious discipline of our relationships and our staff when we realized that because we'd been together for the length of time we have, we really didn't have the trust that God wanted us to have for each other. And so there are little things, the fox is spoiling the vine, little things that would happen that would sort of get sort of brushed away. And then when we came to this time of restructuring, 
we realized that the Lord was wanting us to change some of the things that were going on in our relationship with one another. And if you had come, you would probably not even have known this, but we knew, and God was, was, was raising that up to our awareness. So we put all that stuff aside, all those hours of planning and reorganizing. We hired someone to come in at a, at a fairly substantial cost because our relationships with one another were the most important thing that we have. And so over the course of the last three years or so, we've been working through some of these things. God's been gracious. He's been gentle. And I wish I could say we all lived happily ever after. But indeed, there are still some difficulties in these things. But we have come out the other side now with a culture that we are so enjoying because we've re-established the trust that we have for one another. And so out of that has come these things. Number one, trust must be intentionally developed. It's not going to just happen. Secondly, trust must be intentionally nurtured. We have to give ourselves to really being aware of the need that we have to be generous, to show empathy, to honor our word, to fill in the gaps with trust, not suspicion. And then trust must be intentionally rebuilt. And so how do I do that? Here's what I want to encourage you with, this one principle, this important leadership uh, truth. Develop, build trust. How do I do that? First of all, two, two couples, what I call them. Time and transparency. Take the time to, and whatever time is needed to develop the transparency that you need in your relationship if there's going to be trust. And then secondly, truth and testimony. So as we spend the time being transparent, as we take whatever time is needed to work through the things that we need to in honesty and confession and thank yous and or rather saying, I'm sorry, I forgive you, all those things, that develops now a relationship on truth and truth becomes a testimony to the glory and grace of God. So there's no growth without change. There is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain. So the degree to which we are willing to change is the degree to which we will grow. I put it this way also. No change, no growth. If there's no growth, it's a slow death. And I know that you don't want that, and I don't want that. What we want to see is a living, growing church under our leadership and our responsibilities, along with the whole team that God's given to us. So build trust as best as you can. Continue to work on that. Make that the fundamental thing that you're doing with your leadership. God bless you. Well, I want to remind you to continue to pour into your team. Remember, you are leading other people. And as you're being blessed by these videos or listening to this podcast, man, make sure you share it with other people and discuss it, process it with people, bring some other people into the conversation. And uh, we love being able to do things for you. One thing that we're coming up uh, doing is uh, called the Refresh Conference. It's specifically here uh, in Delray Beach, Florida, November 9th and 10th for leaders like you. Uh, it's just taken two days to seek Jesus, but has tons of fellowship, worship, teaching from Pastor David Guzik, uh, Director Jason Sanchez, and uh, it's going to be a great time to be able to be together. And that's that's a beautiful thing that we get to be together. And uh, I always appreciate your time, whether our time is over a video, over listening through the podcast. Man, it's such a blessing to be able to be with you. And so if you decide or want to come and hang out with us, November November 9th and 10th, man, it's going to be amazing. I'd love to have you come. You can get all the details about this conference uh, at our website, redemptiondb.com. 
dot com slash conference or you can go to eleaders.com and there'll be a link there or in the show notes and we just wanted you to know um, that you are loved that we're continually doing resources making events things like that to encourage and equip you as a church leader and so we're going to continue this discussion on teamwork when next episode i'm going to talk to you about retaining uh, recruiting and retaining volunteers recruiting and retaining volunteers if you're like me you're always wanting more people a part of your team luke 10 2 says uh, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few so therefore pray to the lord of the harvest so we're always praying for laborers and so a, a friend of mine a local pastor here asked me to speak on this subject to his leadership team and i thought it'd be a great thing for me to share with you as we're talking about teams and strike teams and just having faith and serving God together. How do we recruit people? How do we retain people on our team? What are we looking for? And so um, I'm glad that you're a part of this community. We're praying for you. Make sure that you know that what you're doing is an eternal difference. You are value. You're valuable to God. You're making a valuable difference to many lives. And so, man, I hope that these things are a blessing to you. I'm so blessed that you're a part of our community, that you're listening. And uh, as you're blessed, feel free to share it with your team. And so God bless you. Until next time, we will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to this Leadership Lessons podcast. You can watch all the episodes and get all the show notes at eeleaders.com. If this podcast was a blessing to you, I would love for you to share it with your friends on social media. You can find us on social media at eeleaders. You can also help us spread the word by simply writing a review on iTunes or Google Play. My hope for you with this podcast is that it would encourage you and equip you to continue to serve Jesus. Because remember, there's nothing better than doing what God has called you to do.